Welcome to the Understanding Projects podcast. This is Dave Barrett. My discussion today is with Don Kaluzny. I've worked with Don for a few years now, and we co-teach a number of engineering project management degree courses. Don has a wide range of experience in what I'll call large-scale engineering projects and installations. He also developed the ebook Make Your Own Robot Move. During our discussion, we covered a wide range of topics, including the challenges of managing large-scale projects, including the assessment of risk and achieving quality. We talked about the differences and challenges of being involved in military projects, and some thoughts about how the size of organizations impacts projects. Here is my discussion with Don Kaluzny. So, Don, uh, in, in terms of us uh, um, talking beforehand and, and so on and knowing things about your background, you've had a lot of experience in what I'll consider, um, you know, larger scale projects, infrastructure, uh, military, power plants and so on. And, and it's a it's a really interesting um, area of project management on really what I'll, what I'll refer to as kind of big things. And so what, what I was looking today was to talk to you just a little bit around your experience with that. How do you approach those projects? What do you do? What are the risks? How do you handle them and so on? So uh, with that, I'll just turn it over to you of, well, how do you, how do you approach, you know, you're working on a big, you know, super large projects. How do you, what, what have you done in the past to sort of, uh, you know, kind of uh, start those off or get those going? Well, well the projects are usually long lead. So you're usually dealing with um, a customer uh, for several years before a request for proposal is issued. So you've had some time to assess, do you have the capacity? Do you have the, the team members capable of doing the job? And do you have the bandwidth to, to do it? And um, understanding that when you're dealing with infrastructure projects, uh, there's a long lead time. It takes years for these contracts. And before, you know, so you're looking at minimum five years of, of kind of around the coffee table chatting, hey, this would be really nice if, if uh, we built this. Yeah, it'd be really nice if we built it for you um, to like, you know, it could be from one that you get the RFP, it could be another year or two before you actually submit a proposal. And then it could be another five years before shovels go in ground and 15 years before the facility is operating. So it, it's, you're, you're, you're balancing so many things at once. But when, where, where we ended up, uh, we ended up diverging about 2000 in the industry uh, was in doing more service work, um, refurbishments, decommissioning. Um, on, on the military side, there's always, there's always unique projects uh, working there. And, and you've got to constantly um, just keep your ear to the ground. And, and no matter what industry you're in, I don't care if you're working, uh, you know, retail, fast food, um, high tech, um, startup, whatever, you're in the relationship business, right? If people don't trust you, you're not going to get the work. Like, right, right. So at any one time, this is a very long process that you're describing, like you're saying, you know, I don't know, I didn't count up all the years there, but that's that it sounds like there's a decade involved there, yeah. at least from in some cases. How many of these things are on the go at the same time? Like, are you, you know, have, have you been in the process of you've got, you know, a few of these percolating in the background, but you're currently working on something like what fills your day or what has filled your day in, in those types of environments? Well, essentially at any given time, we'd have 
between nine and ten billion dollars of work in the portfolio. So there's a lot going on. Right. <laughs> there's there's a there are there, there's not just a single project going on. There's probably about thirty at, at various stages. You have maybe six or seven truly active at various stages. So and that allows you to move resources and work with your partners, partner organizations to uh, to kind of shift shift the load from. Know, we, we, the term that we use is engineering procurement construction project management epcm right and um, so you have your constru con construction organizations that you work with globally well they can move around for you you've got your procurement and supply chain i mean it, it, that's a huge logistics i mean you know the coolest thing i ever got to see was the you know stuff offloaded from the antonoff at uh, toronto pearson right An amazing thing um we're shipping things all over the world and working to multiple jurisdictions. Like in the industries I've dealt with, um, quality requirements actually are embedded in, in national statutes. So you gotta, you gotta behave yourself. Right. So there's there's always something new. And you know, you look at some of the cool things like um, early 2000s, we were, we were bidding on the Eater project, the International Fusion Facility. We were actually trying to bring that to Canada. And that was kind of a, a unique thing because uh, we had many discussions with our, our national regulator, the, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission at the time. And I mean, it was really exciting, but there, there was always something doing. And, and in spite of the um, global financial downturn in 2008, there was still lots of work out there. You just had to look for it. Right, right. So it sounds like you you were involved, your, your experience was involved in a fair degree of, like you mentioned, stakeholder relationships, of course, that that's key. And that's, I've, I've yet to find a project where that isn't. So you, whether it's a small project or big project or everything in between, that it is all about those relationships. So, so also true on large projects, so that, that's good. But it sounds like your, your role or, or involvement was, was heavy procurement, like you're working with a lot of different organizations to bring these together was there in your organization were you also developing you know um your your like also developing uh products and services along with the other organizations that you were procuring from like was it you know were, were you on both sides of the, the of the creation ledger if, if we call it that way i'd like to think so like um when you look at one of the big things in heavy construction is crane lifts, like using heavy cranes. So, so you know, on, on large project, every time there's a large project, there's a heaviest lift in the world. Right. And that title is good for about six months. And when you think about some of the things and the, and, and the machinery we have capable of lifting these huge structures and the time it saves from, you know, and the time it saves from fabricating things at elevation and also the safety factor, you know, it's a lot nicer to work, you know, 30 feet off the ground versus 400 feet. People, people on the ground think, oh, it's, it's, there's hardly a breeze. But when you get three, 400 feet up, there's a bit of a gale. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, so in some cases, um, you know, there's certain adaptions of, of new technology or, 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 or established or new processes and techniques um, to try and either um, make something more efficient or just, you know, a lot of times it's focused on safety. Trying to, trying to make it so it's easier to do less disruption to the other organizations or other infrastructure around us. So yeah, I'd like to think we're on both sides. Um, but you know, I'm kind of an old guy, you know, 
we just went and did our job. You know, we weren't posting things on TikTok or, or whatever, you know, Instagram say, Hey, look what we did. We just did it. Yes. Yes. There was a, there, there was, you, you were of that just do it sort of, sort of, sort of mantra. Yeah. Was there, was there a great focus on like on that note of, you know, we just did our job and do it was, would you say the project management was more, um, and I know, I'll, was it was it more say um process like like specific process related if you know if a, you know i'll use pmis you know methodology as an example or do you think it was more and and i and i don't know the right words to use but but more just the kind of old school we just did what makes sense at the time like more homegrown sort of methods or or somewhere in between do you know what i mean on that yeah, well, I, I think what you're looking at is the evolution of process here, Dave. Right. I mean, initially, it was, yeah, we know what we're doing. And we made a lot of mistakes. Right, right. I, I remember when the Project Management Institute was a, a little-known um, for-profit organization in the U.S. And we kind of laughed when we first heard about it. This is 30 years ago. And we were, we were young and foolish. But what, what they've done is they've taken a, a, a systematic approach to, to managing project, projects that looks at all aspects. Um, you know, your, your course, an introductory course, looks at all aspects. Mm -hmm. Each of those chapters could be a course unto its own later on, but it introduces all the flavors of everything. And that's a lot of, the biggest mistake a lot of people make when they get into project management is they focus on only one thing. The oh, most important thing for me is reporting to my sponsor because my bonus is on the line. Most important thing for me is my team to love me. Most important thing for me is to, my customer likes me. It's all important. Right. I mean, and, 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 and depending on the nature of the project too, like you can have certain like large scale infrastructure projects where you're going to have a very systematic, very careful waterfall type plan. Or if you're doing development work and <clears throat> I've heard skunk works, you know, is where agile came out. Of. Right. It's used often in IT development too. Um, and, and on the IT side dealt with um, software uh, work, uh, for the control systems and nuclear power plants and, and the verification validation processes are really, really, really strict. Protocols are amazing. Um, but again, in that environment where you're doing, you know, any kind of something really, really leading edge, you've got to kind of go away from the structure and think more towards a flexible kind of different way of measuring success, different support structure. So I, I've truly seen, you know, uh, the standard traditional um, and agile and hybrids work really well. Right. Unfortunately, I've also seen things fail horribly too. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think in terms of you, I know you've mentioned you've worked with, with nuclear things and then fail horribly. I'm just hoping that those aren't both. Oh no, yet. those, those ones we can't. Yeah. <laughs> How do you, and speaking of that, I mean, one of the, you mentioned the chapters of the text and so on. One of them is around risk. There is a, a, a you know, a, a part that's a definite constraint of project management is risk and so on. You must have a unique or a, a you know, a certain view of risk having worked on projects like that. If you're talking about infrastructure, nuclear power plants, military, risk must be front and center in your mind. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Kind of yeah. Absolutely. So how do you look at it? What do you, what what is your approach? And I know it's a big question, but but how's your what what do you do about risk? What's your approach? Well, again, it depends on the nature of the project. In some yeah. cases, you know, 
first and foremost is financial risk to the organization. You don't want to lose the entire organization on a bad project, on one bad project. Um, you've got to consider capability. You've got to consider stability of your customer. Can they pay? <laughs> technology, what's the state of technology? Does it support what you need to accomplish? Um, safety. I, I don't, I, to me, to me, I don't care if you're doing, you know, some kind of nuclear project or a loading dock addition to a warehouse. If you're not taking care of the safety of the people around it, safety of people affecting it, um, you, there will be a risk there. And it's huge nowadays for construction organizations, what they pay for WSIB premiums are some of the highest in, in, in the province. And there's a reason for it because the, there, there's a huge risk of, of uh, claims. Um, Typically what we'll do is, is on a, a certain project is, is through discussions with customer prior to RFP or even at the RFP stage, we'll sit down and look at everything. We'll create a, a matrix and we'll, we'll use our best judgment to generate some sort of weight factor for each of the criteria. And sometimes the, um, the equations become a little complex and we rely on um, uh, software to uh, crunch the numbers for us right and you know if 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 it, if the numbers are acceptable the risk factors are with within tolerance levels for um, all stakeholders um, it's a go if not and we can't reassign risk to say the customer uh, it's not i mean you know, you can get to the point where you spent, you know, we, we've had projects where we spent uh, in excess of uh, $10 million just getting through the proposal stage only to find out just before we submitted, well, this is a no-go. Right, right. And you eat the 10 million. Yeah. <laughs> I remember working on a, on a, on a it was, it was a, this many years ago, I was working on a, a conversion. It was a, it was an IT project converting, um, you know, uh, records of one pension system to another pension system. And we were working with an organization, uh, an oil company from Alberta. They were working on the oil sands and so on. And we were talking about risk as it pertained to the, uh, to, to the conversion of this pension information. And I remember the fellow from the company itself, and he lived in a, in a world of risk where he would express it to say, you know, when we're doing a project in the oil, you know, the, 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 uh, the oil fields or oil sands, if there is a problem, people die, you know, and I still remember this to this day of this, this man was very serious about risk because he lived in a world where it wasn't a, oh, there's going to be an error in the calculation and that we'll have to fix later, you know, or the, or the project might be a couple of weeks late and, you know, cost a little bit more than what we thought, which are, which are all, you know, they're, they're not, I'm not trivializing risk, but in certain types of project, there is actual harm done, you know, like, like immediate harm done. And that always struck me. That's always stayed with me the way he said, people die and I was like oh okay well well I, I didn't want to say that but it, it's an understood uh, yeah part of the reason and this is one thing that that um, can be can, is often a, a topic of discussion with engineering students they'll complain well you know I, I made a mistake but I carried it through I, I should get 90 percent of the the answer it's like no because when you make an error in a calculation people can die right yes and and uh, early in my career 
Um, I actually used to investigate industrial accidents was using very structured protocols for investigating it. And every one of the incidences I investigated were preventable. Right, right. There's a, there's a more of a direct correlation in, in, in engineering projects and engineering work for sure. But, you know, you think, think of our reliance on software now and, and, uh, you know, self-driving cars, you know, if, if there's an, an issue in converting sensor data to actionable uh, response with the vehicle, someone can be injured. Yes. And, and this, is, this is the one thing I get, it's very easy to criticize, but very difficult for people to comprehend that, you know, quality just doesn't happen. You know, uh, risk is always going to be there. Yeah. And people are very, want to, you know, avoid risk at all costs, but it, you have to have a comfort level. Yeah. Can you imagine being at the table at Tesla, for example, you know, you're sitting across the table from Elon Musk and we're talking about risk of exactly what you're saying. There are autonomous driver systems that, you know, maybe their, their quality, you know, their, their accuracy is 99.8%, but that, 0.2% could cause an accident, which could result in death. What's the, what's acceptable? Like what that is, that is a huge question that, that, you know, that is not, it's not only unique to the engineering field, the medical field and many other fields, but it's certainly front and center in engineering projects of. Well, what, think about, think about pharmaceutical and food processing too, Dave. It's, it, uh, yes. You know, your food is 99.99% safe. Right. <laughs> but, but for, again, it becomes, it becomes a, a heartfelt discussion with the organization, their core values. Um, and um, unfortunately, the underwriters and lawyers yes. get involved. Well, yeah, financial costs of, of problems. Think about the early 1970s and the, the exploding Ford Pintos. <laughs> just I was just thinking about as as you were saying 1970s. Yeah, we're we're of the same vintage, Dave. <laughs> yeah, we remember Pintos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, never, you know, one, I never drove one though. I have to say that I, I have not owned a Pinto. Uh, my my wife did. <laughs> it, it was her mom's. Um, That's one degree is, of separation from a Pinto. <laughs> yeah, but but the thing is, at the time Ford Ford accepted the risk um, of lawsuits as being. You know, less than the, the the cost of the engineering redesign, right? Um, and that was uh, that was a fatal mistake. Yeah, because uh, public opinion right. uh, really did not serve them well. Yeah, they maybe didn't factor in the cost of the public opinion, the tarnishing of the brand, the you know that that became an example of low quality for for. You know, for years it start it's starting to perhaps fade from from public awareness, but it's taken a long time for that for that to occur. Yeah, it won't happen until guys like us no longer exist. Right. So we still remember it, right? Right. You know, we're we're like we're like we're like the chroniclers of of bad, and that was really bad decision making. Oh, I, mean, I know, but it happens. I, I mean, I, I remember, um, I remember, uh, you know, hearing you know an organization talk about you know. They make decisions. They make impactful decisions. The important thing is to learn from them and move on, not dwell on them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you mentioned quality, which is a, you know, kind of quality and risk can, can coincide, you know, overlap. I mean, everything overlaps when, it, when you really come down to it. But 
you know, if there's one area of, of project management that I think sometimes gets lost in, in, in translation almost is quality. And, and I know you've got an extensive background in quality. And I just was, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on that of, of you know, how does traditional quality management kind of integrate into projects? Because projects, you know, things are on the go, decisions are being made. It's not a production line that we can study, you know, and do, um, you know, variance diagrams. And, you know, a lot of the tools of traditional quality management uh, are taught during project management. We have a hard time implementing them on many projects. Now, maybe more on large scale infrastructure projects, maybe that's, a, maybe that's not true, but I just, just wanted to see what your thoughts were around quality and, and, and large projects. It's a challenge. Um, I mean, because a lot of times it's an afterthought, like, um, you know, if something hasn't shifted, it's because quality assurance didn't allow the shipment. Well, quality assurance may not have allowed the shipment because the item say is made, let's just pick a hypothetical. It's made in Georgia, Southern US, has to, it'll take a month to get to the border, have to be, you know, go through customs, take another couple of weeks, and then another three, four weeks to get to destination somewhere in Ontario. Well, if, if the item doesn't meet spec and is released, it goes all the way to site, roughly two months. Right. Gets inspected at site, rejected, takes another two months, goes all the way back. Then has to get into the queue to be repaired. So if you actually, you know, don't release it, and make sure it's fixed before it ships. You you may have a week or so delay, but it's better than eight, you know, two three months, four months. Um, and 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 some of the it's often hard because people keep talking about the cost, the cost of quality. And and I always ended a lot of conversation with project managers that I had supervisory roles of or oversight on. Said, what's the cost of not meeting requirements? And, and, you know, you look at a week delay versus an eight week delay. Well, there's an eight times factor right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> there was always an expression. I think there may have been a, been a book written or so on. There the, the was the, the, the expression was that quality is free. That the, the idea being that like what you're saying is it's the, op, it's the opposite view or, or another way of saying the cost of low quality is so high. How can you afford not to do it? Particularly on, on, big things, you know, so. Yeah, so my first real exposure to this whole systematic stuff was when a large organization in Canada, a division of an American parent, <clears throat> was launched their Six Sigma program. This is mid-1990s. And the whole purpose of it was broadcast to the world as a quality initiative, when really what it was, was to reduce internal waste, mm -hmm. uh, reduce costs. But it was marketed in such a way that, you know, the rest of the world said, hey, we should do this too. Um, originally developed by a telecom. Um, but, you know, it basically the philosophy was there's, there's, if you have a lot of in-process waste, it adds up over time. And it cuts into your profits. And right. when, you, when you start looking at ways, systematic ways to make your processes more efficient, you end up unleashing creativity that says, hey, that spills over into product development not only making things better, but then, you know, you can go to your customer, we've real, we've done some experiment and we can do this and make the product last longer or perform better or brighter. Or look at how much more vivid the color is, whatever, what have you, whatever attribute you're looking at. And, and that was a, kind of a, 
kind of a, a almost a random discovery from all this 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 huge initiative, and it was a really exciting time to be in quality. Um, and kind of wrote, you know, kind of rode the coattails of that for many years, but then right. we got into the C-suite. <laughs> I've always had a feeling with with real life projects, not not teaching it, but I mean in, involved in projects, is I find quality to be one of the more really interesting and exciting areas to really think about and 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 believe in. On the other hand, I found the actual execution of uh, of quality assurance and quality control and so on and again no offense to any people in the quality industry that are that are listening to this i always found it kind of tedious like kind of really structure very structural very dogmatic very restrictive you know and maybe that's just the nature of the beast that when you actually implement it but it's just a i've always found a i love the concept of quality and the you, you listen you you read folks like Deming and 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 Dr. Yuran and, and others and you're, you're you're just fascinated by it but then you kind of get involved with quality and in real life and it's kind of oof you know this is this is that, that but that's my personal opinion I don't know how you if that's you if you well, found I, 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 that just I, I, can, I can agree and I can disagree with you. I mean, yeah. again, it depends on how the processes are designed because if the process is designed so that everyone's like a worker drone just doing very narrow focus, or if you've got a more global perspective of overall improvement, you know, consider traditional assembly lines to Toyota manufacturing system. Okay, completely different cross pollinization. Everyone knows about every process, et cetera. It gets exciting. Right. Regardless of the structure, the real fun happens when things go wrong. <laughs> that to me was, was probably the most fun is when we had problems. Like that's when I got really excited about going into the office and saying, Hey, what do we got today? Oh, we got a problem. All right. Let's, let, let's work our way through it and, and, and work the problem. Yeah. And, and those are always, those are always fun times because uh, that to me made it that, that tested the robustness of, of, of your processes and your systems. It tested your, your ability to think on your feet. It tested your relationships with your customer and suppliers. It tested your hiring decisions with the people you worked with. Yeah. Because did you have a team that would run and cover? Yeah. Or do you have a team that stands up and, and, and puts in when something's gone horribly wrong? Right. And communications. I mean, this is one thing we haven't talked about, but communications are so important. And not just quality risk, but project managers as well. You, you know, the real people who excel, they're not, supervisors are not administrators they're true leaders and they really have a skill for communications they get the messaging out there they they motivate people when times are tough like i, I over the years i can't count the number of fridays you know four o'clock in the afternoon the phone call came and something went horribly wrong <laughs> and you dealt with it yeah well i know it's all communication I want to come back to community, but I just want to, I just want to go back to what you said a moment ago, because it really triggered a memory of, of mine, which is um, when you said, I, I love, like came in. Yeah, we got a problem. And, yeah. and you have the, the mindset needed for high quality. Cause I, and I, and I remember early in my career, again, this is, you know, back when I was just, you know, a young guy out of school and in my first job and, and, the way quality control, and we didn't even call it call, like we'd call it testing, 
But the, the, the way testing was described is, is that success is finding an error, not finding zero errors. That's failure. If you're testing, if you're a tester, quality control, whatever you want to call it, to find nothing is kind of, hmm, something's wrong here. You, you're, you're, you're actually looking for problems and you go, I found one. Yeah. You know, yeah, and, exactly. and, and that was kind of at the time was kind of mind blowing because it totally shifted my, my, my outlook to say, oh, once I do that, I'm going to start turning over stones and seeing what's under it, as opposed to just going, oh, it looks fine. Everything's, yep, no problems. I guess everything's okay. You know, versus let's put this thing through its paces. Let's try to break it. Yeah, you know, that's fun. When, when you try to break things, that's fun. And then you you break it and then you say, got it. I knew it was there. We fixed it. And that's the really exciting part about quality. Like that's getting the fun back yeah. in in quality. So I like the, the fact that you were looking, you were you liked problems when you found well, them. Yeah, for me, to me, it's the two things, two areas of real enjoyment are building new systems, like creating things from scratch, updating, revising, improving that long-term, you know scanning the, the, the horizon, looking for ways to make things better for everyone, the, the, the mistake proofing. I think the term pokeyoke is the, the, the Kaizen term for it, or when things go horribly wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The middle of the road is yeah, routine. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. It's on, it's on the, you know, on the edges where, where things happen. You've mentioned a few different um, areas of project management so far. We've, you mentioned risk, you've mentioned uh, uh, quality communication, which I absolutely agree with that, you know, you have to be a communicator, you, you, you to, to really excel in, in broad in managing projects and so on, you've got to be able to, to be right and verbalize, you know, this is almost, if you were stuck on a deserted, a deserted Island and could only take one area of project management with you, what, what, what which, which one would you take? I mean, which one do you think is, is, which one is the best is the the most important again impossible question but what wow <laughs> what, what is what is the one that you would you could not do without i know it's you and you can say that's that's i'm not saying <laughs> but what do you think I, I would i would take the the uh the importance of of relationships yeah um because hopefully there'll be someone who'd realize i was missing and you know, organize a search team to try and find me. Um, because, you know, the most wonderful thing, you know, I learned from going from, you know, administration management to leadership is, is well, the most wonderful thing about managing people is the people. The most challenging thing is the people. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're complex beasts. Um, and um, to me, to me, that uh, fundamentally, if, if you're, if you're not a good person and you're not surrounded by good people, you're not going to succeed. And, and you can think you're as smart as you you want to think you are, but if other people look at you and go, "You're an idiot," um, your career is not going to go very far. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree with you on and and as you were describing it, I was thinking, that's right because if you have good if you if you have those relationships, that's those that stakeholder engagement the rest follows from there. The, the rest, if, if you don't have it, you can be the best risk manager in the world. You can be the best scheduler. You could be the best budget person, 
But if, if, if you don't have those relationships, it's not going to take, it's, you're not going to be able to communicate it effectively. It'll be, you know, it's kind of like, it'll bounce off and, and bounce back to you. So, um, you know, I, I do think, and that's, that's uh, one of the things that I, I have, you know, been involved in the teaching and so on. It's that this is the one that kind of rules them all. You know, if you don't have that, you're, you're, you're dead trust. in the water. Trust. Yeah. Honesty, yeah. integrity, and trust. They're, they're yeah. real foundations. I mean, I sound like a really old fashioned guy when I talk about that, but uh, <laughs> it, you know, if you don't inspire trust in those around you, you oh, I know. they, they I know. just don't like you. I mean, yeah, um, teams won't, teams won't, you know, people won't collaborate with you. Teams won't do work for you. They won't follow you. They won't be motivated by you. Customers will be suspicious of you, you know, if, if you don't have that trust, but you know, that's where, that's where it, it, it takes a while to, to earn trust. You have to do, you have to be pretty, there's a lot of things you can, there's a lot of ways you can, can, um, uh, it, it can take a while to build trust. It can it can be very fast to lose it. Like you can oh, it, instantaneously, it, it's gone. Take a lifetime to build trust, and then one really inappropriate situation, and it's gone. There's there's something in your background, like the that what I I wanted to just ask you, what is it like in a project like that? And and it's the word working in military applications, projects, and so on. You know, that's something that, you know, maybe a lot of people have not had involvement in there. And, and, and um, you know, what, what is it? What is it? What is it like? Is it just another project that people are wearing uniforms or, or is it, do you find it different? Um, both. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I, I find in, in the private sector, um, excuses are rampant. Well, you know, I couldn't get this done or I'm not going to meet my deadline. Uh, when you're dealing with, um, you know, international uh, military agencies, you know, when there's a commitment made, it's delivered. Um, right. I mean, their, their leadership development is, is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, the psych profiling that people go through, you know, the, you know, the weed out the, uh, you know, sociopaths and the psychopaths and, you know, you've really got to be a leader. You've got to be a nurturer of those around you. You've got to take charge because, you know, in a combat situation, you could be relying on each other to stay alive. Right. And, and when a commitment is made and approach schedules schedule is adopted, there's no slippage. You know, uh, and if there is, it's usually on the private sector side, the supplier side, because right. again, there's that, that commitment to doing it. But I, I always found those projects to be probably the most enjoyable to work on. Yeah. I found that technologically they were they were incredibly advanced and super cool as an engineer. Um, but as far as the administration and and management, uh, they they ran smoothly. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it it was it was a, a true joy. And, and and the cool thing is, if you're going to be on station, say on a naval vessel, you have to as a rep go through certain specific training because you're not just going to be cargo you're going to have to participate. If there is an emergency, right. you will have to help with dealing with that emergency. Yeah. And, and uh, that led to some really, really exciting and interesting opportunities. Um, you know, being a first aid provider at one time, I was uh, almost like a first responder paramedic qualified. And of course that, you know, meant that I would be doing certain things if I was on station. Um, 
but uh, I just, I just found it was it, things just, you know, you're working with some exciting stuff and it's not all about the let's blow things up. You know, when you, when you look at water treatment and a, a lot of the systems that we, we take for granted communications and that, that all kind of evolved from the aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think about portable water treatment plants, you know, setting those up, you know, for humanitarian efforts that were deployed by UN forces. Um, that's kind of a, I did something good here project, you know, right. It can really help like hurricane relief efforts or Haiti's having issues again. Mm-hmm. I mean, people need shelter. Right. Um, you know, a lot of the advances we're seeing in AI are coming out of DARPA right now. Right. Yes. A, a lot of technology and, and other, like you say, engineering innovations. Well, much of project management, if you go back through the history of, of modern project, project management, a lot of it was developed during military projects, like military like development of the, of the nuclear submarines and so on. A, a lot of, of that uh, was, uh, you know, the um, scheduling techniques and, and, you know, project management came out of, out of military projects. How do you find, like, when you say military, you know, the, the, the term chain of command, I think, originated in the military, that, yeah. that concept. How do you find communication in, um, in, in those types of projects? Were you sort of prevented from communicating as effectively because of chain of command? Or, or, or do you think that was just something that, you know, was, was positive or negative or neutral? Right. Well, it's it's not like in the movies. Yeah, it's not all serious. Movies aren't true. What? I've, what? I've given my orders. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. No, there's there's a lot of dialogue and engagement. Yeah. We want to make sure that like any any mission deployment would would there be a briefing and and a, a pretty much a speak freely questions and answers to make sure all risks were addressed. Uh, on the project side, it's like okay, this is what we have to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Very, very regular and, and frequent meetings. So one of the coolest projects I worked on was the decommissioning of, a, of a, an installation's uh, refuse facility. And we found some kind of interesting artifacts. But again, the communications were very clear, very, very, very relaxed. It wasn't all stiff upper shirts. I mean, my dog had a security tag so he could attend the meetings by video conference. I mean, um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about some of the projects that, you know, private sector gets to work with, with, uh, you know, the complex. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. It's, it's really a lack of awareness. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I enjoyed it. I had a really good time. I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Dave. I mean, <laughs> well, at the end of the day, it's the, the, you know, projects are, you know, the common element between projects of different types is that people work on them, you know, and, and people are, you know, in, in some ways very similar across different project types. And that, that's sort of the common element that comes back to the, you were saying relationships and stakeholders. So, so yeah, like what you were saying, it's not like in the movies where, you know, a, a, you know, a general walks in the room, barks out orders and everybody scurries away and do, does them like, you know, what, what you're saying is no, there's, there's dialogue, there's discussion, there's free flow of ideas and so on, which is normal or desirable in, in projects in general. Like that's, that's, that's what you'd strive for is to, is to have that. So that's good to know. Yeah. I found it would be in, in another way, another issue, I found a lot, a lot more efficient in, in just executing. Um, you know, the term I, I use throw out a lot is busy work. 
you know, elementary school, we were given an assignment, write a three paragraph story and you get lose marks because you didn't underline the title with three different colors ink. The assignment was to write a three paragraph story, right. not the busy work of using different color pens. Right, right. So, you know, execution, focus on task. Yes. Busy work. Well, you know, put in some useless features. <laughs> I would think, again, I've never been in the military, but I would think they would be quite familiar with the concept or the words of what is the mission involved. And, and you know, that, that would become, and that's what you're saying, what's, what's the objective? What are we trying to accomplish? So that would be, that would be something that would be very familiar with anyone in that, that organization. And the thing, the thing that, you know, in, in looking at, you know, the ecosystem locally, we've got the startup community where you've got, you know, startup about five or six people, and they get to about 60, there's a change in behavior. Get to 120, there's a change in behavior. Get to around, you know, uh, 200, there's another change in behavior. Like splinter groups, polarization. But when you get an organization like, um, you know, uh, an armed service, there is a constant behavior. There is right. one objective. Right. And you move towards it. And, and that is the challenge that a lot of organizations face. And, I, and, and to me, that goes through the relationships and the leadership. You know, there's something not quite right that causes this to happen. And, uh, you know, that's a tough one. That's a tough nut to crack. But again, it's, you know, the, the only, I've been a little fortunate that I've been surrounded by, by, by really good people. And, and one of the coolest things early in my career was, you know, I was a junior engineer. And the desk right next to me was, uh, you know, a chap who'd been working for 30 years and he'd pick his, pick their brain, yeah. go out into the field and pick their brain. And, you know, the, the knowledge that was transferred was just, you know, those afternoons were just amazing. Right. Is, is what you're describing just now, would, are you describing the, the, sometimes the part, the, the things that can happen to organizations when they get too big, that they start to lose their way. Is that, is that what you were sort of referring to? Yeah, and that happens with projects as well. Yeah. Um, you know, larger projects get, the more waste you you will see in time right. and resources. They start to see kind of mission creep or they lose lose their way. They start to, in politics, starts taking over. I recall watching a, a, a video of, a, of, of uh, Steve Jobs when sometime during his career, uh, where he described his objective at Apple was to, that every team... Would, would feel every group of people would feel like an, like a team, like a small team working within a large company, you know, that they, they, they wanted to keep that, you know, local feeling within, within, you know, Apple teams and not get into the environment where you just say, well, geez, I'm part of this monolithic, you know, multinational company. What effect do I have? What, what can I do? You know, I'm just part of this, you know, 30,000 or 50,000 person organization. You know, I'll just put in my eight hours and call it a day that he was consciously trying to have the organization be sort of thought of and felt like it's a, 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 a large number of smaller teams that could do things. And I think, you know, that when you when you said that, that reminded me of 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 his philosophy. And again, you see the performance of Apple and, and, you know, under his leadership did, did very well. And it continues to do well because that yeah. same approach exists. Right. And that's really important. Like when you get a small group of people working very tightly, but they know 
that they are contributing to the overall good. Right. That's a huge difference from I'm one of a thousand. You right. Know? If, if you're in a team of say 20 people, but you're contributing to something that's going to be, and there are many moving pieces to make this product, but each team is doing something that will advance the, uh, the, 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 the mission or the, the objective of the organization, the product innovation. I mean, that's an amazing thing to, 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 to watch and be part of. And one of the things that they were really good at was communicating. You know, like you weren't just designing a, I, you know, the keyboards came under criticism lately, you know. You weren't just resigning a, a keyboard to replace, you were designing the next innovation in, in the MacBooks or whatever, you know. It wasn't just a keyboard, it was the ecosystem. And, and one of the things that they've really, they're, they're an amazing systems integrator. Just how flawlessly, you know, when, when I, I, I remember, I was looking at another brand locally produced, uh, a phone, but I realized, well, if I, if I held out and got, you know, my first iPhone was a 3G. I had on my PDA, I had my music, I had my phone, I had text, I had everything all in one device. Yeah. And, and the subscription fee was you know, half what <clears throat> the, the other op brand was. And so what, what did I go with? Yeah. And I look at stuff around my house. Like I'm, I'm a Mac guy, even though I work in engineering. My, 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 my MacBook Pro runs dual mode Mac OS and Windows. And, yeah. But from a, a systems integration perspective, anytime I need to do something, it's like so intuitive. And that's part of that. And you can see that they obviously have spent a lot of time thinking and making sure the execution is, is going to be effective. And that goes back to their teamwork. Yeah. Oh, I know. I, I've often thought of that, 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 that organization and, and, you know, there'll be others, but that organization very much marries design and execution. You know, you can, you can, we can talk about, you know, the elegance of the product and how well it's designed and so on, which is great, but they also execute well. It's not one at the expense of the other. So if you can do those, if you can design and integrate and, and have, you know, great engineering, but you can also make it come to market you know, that's, that, that's what you're trying to do. I mean, that's an objective for, for projects and organizations for sure. Yeah. When, whenever I'm asked, you know, describe to me an organization that you have the utmost respect for in engineering, I will say Lego. Cool. What, I, I, I wasn't expecting you to say Lego. Why is that? Think about, think about the, 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 the brick, the elements that they have and how many ways they can be put together to look like realistic, devices and systems right you know they've got the they've got their technique supercars with paddle shifters inside with working transmissions right but they're also on the education side the mit innovation lab they've been funding that since the 80s right. and scratch and other languages that we use now were developed by lego hmm. and so when you look at product design just the the, the integration of, of all those elements and how they 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 design things and how robust they are for child play or as an adult fan of Lego, I'll admit, um, just how it's, it's a great, great escape, a great stress relief to just kind of sit right. back and say, what can I do with this today? You know, and Ikea would be my second choice for, right. for good engineering. But again, a lot of their success, Dave goes to the projects and how they manage and launch the project development. Yeah. Product development, no, sorry. I know. It's, it's good to have ideas and thoughts, but if you can't implement them, 
you know, that's where projects comes in, project managers, et cetera. So um, anyways, Don, this has been a great discussion. Uh, we've gone from uh, just, I was just thinking we've gone from, uh, you know, uh, nuclear and military projects to Lego. So we, we've, we've got a broad range and I, and I don't mean that, I, I mean that in the, the best possible way. Lego is a great company, uh, but uh, we, we've, we've gone sort of, sort of across the board in, in projects. So, so thanks for the great discussion. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Absolute pleasure being here, Dave. All right. We'll talk to you again soon.